studying NAD metabolism. So today I would love to talk to you about a perspective paper that you wrote on the recent paper, Taurine Deficiency as a Driver of Aging. So it's very kind of you to join us today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy right. to be here. Thank you. So this paper showed an extension of lifespan in mice with uh, taurine supplementation, right? So from your perspective, what was kind of the main thing about the paper, you know, the main thing that you took away from it? Well, I mean, I think, I think the really critical result is the one you already mentioned, right? That they actually were able to extend lifespan with mice. Um, so this is, you know, in the aging field, there's lots of people with, with their own ideas and speculations about different mechanisms that might be important for aging. Um, there's lots of cases where it's easy to break the system and make animals live shorter by messing with something. But but to really prove, you know, that you, you've got something uh, fundamentally related to aging, you, you really have to be able to extend lifespan at the end of the day. Um, and, and that's what this paper does for the taurine field, I think, finally shows that it really can um, get beyond a normal healthy lifespan by doing this taurine supplementation. And not just, uh, so the, I think the mouse results are the most impressive, but they show it as well in, in, in worms in this paper. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, so if we were to compare it to like rapamycin, which is kind of like the gold standard um, for, uh, for life extension, how does it compare in terms of percentage increase? Uh, it's the, the percentage increase here is comparable to the initial studies with rapamycin. Um, so what's happened since then is, is people have done dose optimizations and shown that with rapamycin, you, you can about triple the dose compared to what was originally studied and get an even greater lifespan extension, um, which is which is more than what's seen here with taurine. Um, but given that this is the first attempt with taurine, I think uh, it's fair to say that, you know, that they may be on the same level as far as the ability to extend lifespan once we've optimized the taurine. Right. And so, yeah, the, the dose this time uh, was... I mean, I guess if you put it into humans uh, using allosteric conversion, it, it was between uh, three to six grams, which is already quite large. Uh, but would allosteric conversion be appropriate for this kind of um, supplement? Yeah, I mean, this is a concern I always have with, with metabolites. Right? So, so the whole you know idea behind allosteric conversions is that smaller animals tend to metabolize drugs faster and eliminate them faster. So you can if you use higher doses, or, or conversely, when you go to larger animals, you you can scale the dose down a bit in general. Um, but when you're dealing with a metabolite like taurine or like NAD, which is what my lab works on mainly, um, you're trying to change the concentration in a given volume of tissue. Uh, and, and you may therefore have to scale by body weight to get the same effect. So, I mean, you could see an argument for needing to go as high as 20 grams of taurine to, to say that you're using the same dose, which, you know, ultimately has to be determined by by actual dosing and measuring, you know, uh, outcomes on, on, on target measures, either the concentration that you're achieving in tissues um, or some of the downstream effects that we're interested in, which is there's always the challenge to identify what those are. <laughs> yes. So they saw a number of benefits like in terms of measuring, right? Uh, so antioxidant event effects, improvements in tRNA for um, mitochondria. So of these, which ones do you think would be most important for lifespan or health span extension? Yeah, th I mean, that that is, that's the question right now, right? I mean, I, th right. I think even the authors um, don't have a very clear idea exactly which one it is. And taurine is one of these confusing molecules that just, it has a lot of potential mechanisms of action, and it's not clear that there's any one smoking gun. Um, you know, the really attractive one mechanistically, I think, is, is the, the mitochondrial tRNA 
mechanism that you mentioned. This was discovered only recently that uh, taurine is attached to the transfer RNAs in mitochondria, which are you know they're what bring the amino acids you know to 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 the ribosome when you're synthesizing proteins. And the taurine's anchored at the third position in the codon that's being read, which is the wobble position. So that, that's where the most mistakes get made when you're uh, in incorporating amino acids into proteins. And taurine is necessary to to avoid making more mistakes. Essentially, if the taurine's missing, there's a much greater chance you'll put the wrong amino acids in some mitochondrial proteins. Um, and some of those are involved in the electron transport chain. And so there's a really nice, clear argument there. I think that if you're taurine deficient, you might um, mess up making some of the mitochondrial proteins. The mitochondria don't work as well. You could generate more reactive oxygen species or mm. uh, fail to generate enough ATP. Um, and, and so, so there, there's a really clear, coherent idea. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, there's no real proof yet that we can't tolerate that level of mismatch and that it's not just fine again as soon as you get a little more taurine into the system. Um, so I think I think that's one idea that's really interesting to explore. But maybe you know, maybe it's too uh, too easy an explanation given all the other things taurine is doing. <laughs> right. So one of them appears to be antioxidant, although it seems a very specific antioxidant and not that good. But it, it did seem to lower uh, oxidative stress. Um, is that correct? Yeah. So, so taurine, this is you know, one of the general observations that's made often as you supplement taurine and oxidative stress goes down. Mm. Um, and so it leads to taurine being described as an antioxidant, but as you said, it's, it's really only an antioxidant for, for hypochlorite, right? So it, it makes taurochlorine, uh, which mm. itself, you know, is a signaling molecule and, 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 and seems to activate some antioxidant defenses. And so it may be that sort of indirect route that's critical and hypo sorry, chlorotaurine, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it has many other anti-inflammatory properties and you know, may, may itself be a, a beneficial mediator of some of, of taurine's apparent effects. Mm -hmm. Hypotaurine, which is the step before taurine in synthesis, is a good antioxidant. Uh, and, and so upregulating the taurine synthesis pathways may have antioxidant effects that are more attributable to, to hypotaurine. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Earlier in that pathway, you, you start with cysteine, which is also an antioxidant uh, amino acid mm. um, and a precursor to glutathione, which is a critical antioxidant in the cells. And so you can imagine by supplementing taurine and turning off the synthesis pathway, actually, you may spare a lot of antioxidants you know, that end up going into other pathways. Um, and then if I can add one more, <laughs> taurine mm. itself uh, is a substrate for uh, enzymes in the transsulfuration pathway to generate um, hydrogen disulfide, which is a gas that again, is, like thorine is, is a bit of an antioxidant itself, but its concentration is too low for it to probably be the, the real antioxidant that's doing things. And instead, it's probably acting as a signaling molecule to induce more antioxidant defenses. And so there's there's this net antioxidant effect when you give taurine, but it's it's really hard to, to put your finger on exactly which is the critical mechanism that's accounting for it. And I saw you also said that it's not clear that increasing antioxidants actually extends lifespan. Right. I, or health span. Is that correct? I mean, it's actually clear that they don't uh, in terms oh, right. of, you know, like the ACE, common antioxidant vitamins you would think about. I mean, those at yeah. this point have been studied, um, you know, ad nauseum and, and you know, in human studies with meta-analyses, there's very little evidence for a, for a benefit for supplementing those vitamins. Um, even in secondary prevention, where you, you only give them to people who have already had a heart attack or something and prevent the next one. And it's, they're, they're, not effective that we can measure <laughs> for the most part. That, yeah, that is interesting. So mm -hmm. one of the things you said in the paper, I, in your perspective paper, I saw that you said, does 
does taurine work through calorie restriction or not? It is like one of the things to kind of, I, I guess, divide up the, the way it works in terms of life extension. Could you just yeah. talk a, a little bit about that? I mean, why do you divide things like that? Why is calorie restriction so important? Well, I think um, it's it's a it's a convenient point in the flowchart to under, you know, think about how we need to work to understand it next. So, if you are causing calorie restriction, we're still struggling to understand how calorie restriction works. Mm-hmm. But at that point, um, maybe you can start to let go of mechanisms that are specific to the molecule if you know it's causing calorie restriction, mm-hmm. and then you can more generally try to understand why restricting calories is extending lifespan. Um, and so that's. For taurine in this paper, um, they did track food intake because this is obviously a concern with any study that you're just just inducing calorie restriction. You can give a drug that you know makes the animals feel nauseous and they don't eat as much, and you, you may get a lifespan extension by that. But it's it's not maybe the strategy we want to take. Um, and so they did track food intake, and it was actually normal. So that that part was reassuring that it seems like you're not actually reducing the amount of food going into the animals, but they do lose body weight. And so there's a bit of an increase in energy expenditure. So it's possible, you you know, they're just burning more calories because of something that taurine's doing, maybe upregulating mitochondrial function. Um, but the other question mark, I think, is what's happening to nutrient absorption. So they measure gut transit time as well. And mm-hmm. that goes uh, down. So there's faster transit of food through the gut in the taurine-treated animals. I think that that you know that can be viewed in two ways. One of them is that gut transit time does slow as we age. And so this may be an anti-aging effect that you're sort of restoring the youthful transit time, but it also, you know, raises a potential concern that you know, maybe you're actually transiting some of that nutrient through the gut before you've had a chance to absorb it and you're losing some calories that way. So I, th- I think that's something that wasn't answered here is what, what is, what are calories out <laughs> in the fecal output? Are we really right. absorbing the same number of calories? Um, and you know, regardless, even if that is normal, um, given the increase in energy expenditure and the decrease in body weight, you know, if we had weight matched animals, would, would the taurine ones still be living longer? I think it's going to be important to start to start to sort out those variables, right? You'd want to see that that an animal of the same body weight not getting taurine mm. um, doesn't live as long as the one getting taurine to really want to dig into the specific right. mechanisms for taurine versus, you know, consider this may be something that's related to energy balance. And it it may impact like fat absorption as well, because it it, it, it impacts like the bile. Yeah. So it's the taurine is one of the head groups on bile acids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, so it uh, certainly might specifically be affecting the amount of the fat that's absorbed um, because you, you, you are, you're using bile, you're secreting bile acids into the gut lumen to kind of solubilize the, the fats that are in the food and aid their absorption across the intestinal wall. So if there was something that wasn't being absorbed as well, it would probably be fats, which would obviously decrease the energy content that you're absorbing from the diet. Right. So it would, it would, so supplementing with taurine would decrease the fat intake potentially. I, I, I would, yeah. Do, yes. Oh, okay. It, so it's, well, it decrease, it, it damages the system that absorbs the fat. What oh, we, I see. You know, but we are pretty good at absorbing fat. So, you know, we, we, I think experimentally we need to determine whether you can compensate and you, you get the fat anyway eventually, or whether right. this really causes a problem that leads you to excrete some fat. Right. One thing they noted was that chlor- uh, taurine does decline with age, right? And do we know why that is? And kind of related to that, we make taurine internally and we also absorb it. Do, do you have any idea what the percentage between those two is? So 
early in life, um, it, it's uh, we, we rely quite a bit on dietary taurine. So this is why it was classified as a semi-essential nutrient. If you don't mm-hmm. get enough taurine during development, you, you can have um, serious problems. But later in life, um, as adults, it seems like we make most of it, of what we need at that point. So there have been studies on vegans where you know, taurine is present in animal products, but not in, in plants. Um, mm-hmm. So vegans are essentially getting no taurine in the diet. Uh, and their blood levels of taurine are maybe 15% lower than, than uh, omnivores. And so it seems like that you know, they were able to compensate pretty well for the almost total loss of taurine from the diet as adults. Um, where other species like cats don't make taurine ever. They're completely reliant on dietary taurine. And this is you know, one of the reasons why if, you, if you're not, you know, if you're making homemade cat food and <laughs> feeding them plant-based diets, like a vegan diet or something, the cats can't survive. They actually need supplemental taurine. Right. Um, but, but humans can generally um, get by without it once they're grown. Okay. Because I guess cats eat nothing but meat. So they get lots of taurine. It's not worth Yeah. Yeah, in their natural right. environment. Yeah, they, they would. Uh, but but this is one of these issues where you, you hear about people, you know, making their pets vegan and uh, mm. and them not doing so well. And that, that's one of the reasons. And so the inability to synthesize could be why it goes down with age. Right. Right. So, so the, I think that's what the evidence is kind of pointing to. It seems like right. there must be an increase in overall synthesis or we would have been compensating better than we do with age. Right. Okay. Actually, there's a you know th- that story is getting a little bit more interesting too because it seems like the majority of synthesis in in rodent models that have been studied up till now is in the liver, uh, but in humans it was just discovered that the last step in taurine synthesis, which actually had been unknown, how to get from hypotaurine to taurine, that's catalyzed by an enzyme called uh, flavin monoxygenase one, which is not mm-hmm. expressed in human liver. Um, and so now I think there's a lot of work to do to figure out exactly where it's being made in humans. <laughs> interesting. Yes. I mean, does the concentration of taurine differ in different tissues? I am sure it does, but do, do we have any idea where, like what the concentration looks like? Um, it So it's in the millimolar range and up to about 60 millimolars, about the highest that's been reported um, in, in tissues. Um, heart has a really high level of it. Um, it was in the tens, tens of millimolar. Um, but, and then uh, some of these cells in the immune system have really high levels. But it's not, you know, entirely clear. I think, you know, why certain cells have much higher levels than others. The results seem very good so far, um, at least mm-hmm. in the mice, and and you know, we know that it, uh, taurine goes down in humans as well. So, do you see that there are any potential risks? Because as we were kind of discussing, that like the the dosage could be quite large. Yeah, um, I mean, the, there. So there's a few things that are potentially concerning. So, so taurine has been shown to interact with um, GABAergic uh, uh, receptors on neurons. And so there's, uh, those are inhibitory neurons in the uh, brain, in the neurological system. Um, and you know, there's potential that when you supplement really high doses of taurine, you could increase the amount in the extracellular space more than we meant to, and that that could potentially cause some unintended uh, inhibitory neurotransmission and, and, and maybe modulate things in ways we don't really understand. Um, there is a little bit of evidence um, that the ultrastructure of bone might change with chronic taurine supplementation. So overall, it seems like bone mineral density actually goes up. Mm. Uh, but there are a couple of studies where they've looked more fi- closely at the fine structure and argued that it might actually be a little bit detrimental in that case. So I think it's something we have to keep an eye on with, with, the, with the net benefit for bone health ultimately is. Um, and then I think it's just this 
you know, question is just the, the being a guinea pig, right? I think with anything, <laughs> there's things we can't foresee, uh, and and we just have to be careful to keep an eye on it as we, this probably will move into human trials. Um, I think there's a good expectation of safety based on being a high percentage of our bodies already, um, and certainly a naturally occurring molecule that we're ingesting all the time. So I, I think we certainly will move forward, but I think it's important to do that in a controlled way, you know, with with, uh, with good monitoring <laughs> under, under medical supervision and not to have people go out and take, you know, kilograms of it themselves <laughs> and just hope for the best. In a normal diet, do you have any idea how much taurine a person would normally get i mean if you eat a lot of seafood or meat uh, would you get you get grams worth of taurine um not grams probably mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the, maybe around 100 milligrams well wow. somewhere around okay so so supplementing is going to be significantly different yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. any last kind of comments on the paper you know, the, the, one of the confusing aspects of taurine biology is that it, it, it probably is acting as an osmolite. Um, and that's not really discussed in the paper, but um, it's, you know, one of the original reasons it was thought to potentially be important, right? So it's one of these substances that the cells can, you know, release or take up to control the osmolarity, the amount of water <laughs> that they're taking in. Um, right. And and potentially do control ionic strength a little bit. So it's it's zwitter ionic, which means that it it has a, both a positive and a negative charge. So the net charge on taurine is zero, but the, but there is a positive, you know, a charge and a negative charge in different points in the molecule. Um, and so it has a lot of properties that might turn out to be important, but are hard to understand or you know think about in a, in a meaningful way. So people don't don't talk about it a lot um, anymore. Um, so it can, like I said, modulate the amount of water that's in the cell, and these charged regions can displace ions from proteins and you know, alter protein folding. Uh, in many cases, improve protein folding, essentially act as chemical chaperones by displacing, so you know, maybe smaller ions that that are denaturing uh, from different positions on the proteins. And so I think there's there's a lot of really nebulous <laughs> effects, you know, that 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 it may be having that I think are really going to be challenging to tease out, but that really might be critical in understanding ultimately what the net effect of taurine in the body is, where where it can chaperone ions, water molecules, uh, and proteins around the cell and just just have subtle modifying effects on a lot of these things. You're dealing with something at such a high concentration that's sort of ubiquitous in the cell. Um, There's a lot of these effects that that it really might turn out to have a net important benefit, but are really hard to pin down. Yes. So would it be able to pass through the cell wall? Because it's uh, it's charged, right? Right. Um, it is transported. So it's it has to be, we know it's transported because of the gradients that can be achieved, mm-hmm. right? Because in the extracellular space, it's about 100 micromolar. And say in heart cells, it can be up to 60 millimolar. Uh, right. And so, so it's one of the things where we have sort of the best evidence that it can't pass through passively, <laughs> or you would never achieve these gradients. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Because in the paper, they said that they uh, had a mouse with a with a transporter knockout, and and it was not well, as I recall. Yeah. Okay. So that was wonderful. Thank you. I mean, it it, it gives us a better perspective on on that paper, which is yeah has got a lot of press in it. It's it's a very interesting paper. So yeah, um, no, I mean I think it's it's going to blow this field open a little bit. I mean, like I said taurine's taurine was studied for decades. You know, whole careers where were spent on taurine in the past, mm-hmm. um, and you know because 
these mechanisms were pretty nebulous and it wasn't clear where to go next. I think people have generally forgotten about it for, <laughs> for a few decades now, other than a uh, you know, sort of supplementation in energy drinks. And now uh, this, yeah. this is sort of drawing everyone's attention back where it should be, I think. <laughs> yes, that's really, do you, do you have any idea why, uh, was it Dr. Singh felt that taurine would extend lifespan? I don't. Uh, I mean, there are some human trials going on for taurine in a few different conditions, um, like in heart failure. Um, mm. and, and, and other things where it seems to have potentially some metabolic benefit. And, you know, I think, uh, and there was, there was some older data suggesting it might go down with age. Um, mm. So I think maybe he just thought it was, was worth taking a harder look. You know, I, th I think it's, it's hard to argue with the fact that it's 0.1% of our body weight, <laughs> maybe something mm. we should understand. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, it is amazing. And, and I had not really heard about it very much before. Okay. So uh, Dr. Bao, thank you. Thank you so much for, for A, writing the perspective paper and uh, coming in to talk, talk to us about it. Thanks for having me, my pleasure.